I'm Taylor Tarter, and this is Fastball Fantasy Baseball. Today we're going to get into a type of data that hitters and pitchers are using to develop and improve their games. It's called StatCast data, and today we're going to focus specifically on the hitting statistic exit velocity. I'm also going to have a conversation with Major League Baseball pitcher for the Chicago Cubs, Alec Mills. Stay tuned to the second half of today's episode for that interview. Let's get into it. So let's start digging into the stat. Exit velocity is exactly what it sounds like. In simple terms, it's how hard a ball is hit off the bat. Uh, Now, before we really get into it, I want to give you some disclaimers. First, exit velocity is by no means a be-all, end-all statistic. And second, we're going to be looking at other StatCast data in the future that you can use along with exit velocity in your analysis of players. Our goal for today is just to understand what what exit velocity is, how to find it, and how to apply our understanding of it to evaluate hitters in fantasy baseball. So exit velocity absolutely has a correlation to hard contact rate, which I went over in episode three. So if you need a refresh of hard contact rate, I suggest going back to listen. But generally, the harder a ball is hit, the farther it goes. Makes sense, right? One piece that we'll talk about in the future is how launch angle factors into that. For example, you can hit a ball super hard straight up or straight down, and it won't matter how hard you hit it because it's going to be an out. That's why exit velocity is not the only thing that we're going to factor into our analysis. Uh, Another thing you have to consider with exit velocity before we do some analysis is that a player who strikes out a lot can have a really excellent exit velocity, but if they strike out a lot, it won't matter because the production won't be there. So you cannot just take exit velocity for what it is on the surface. You need to look at the whole picture and apply it along with other data points in your evaluation. You won't be surprised to know that some of the best batters in the MLB are on the leaderboard for average exit velocity from last year. Aaron Judge, Nelson Cruz, Christian Yelich, Josh Donaldson, and Matt Chapman all fall in the top 10. Framer Reyes with uh, Cleveland is number four on the list, and I really like him for this season. Power stats are going to be very, very valuable in this shortened year, and I think he has potential to lead the league in home runs. Sure, he could end up with a 240 batting average, but his power is elite, and that outweighs the, the, the batting average risk for me. Uh, Yohan Moncada, Kyle Schwarber, and Shohei Otani round out the top 10 in a- average exit velocity for last season. So why is it important to understand exit velocity? Understanding exit velocity is important, although the best way to use it is to help understand fluctuations in a player's BABIP and evaluating the legitimacy of the number of home runs that a batter is hitting. And if that seems like a mouthful, uh, I'm going to give you some examples. So remember, BABIP is the quote-unquote luck statistic for hitters. It factors in the outcome of the batted balls in play, which can change depending on the defense. Yohan Moncada, for example, had a top 10 average exit velocity last season, 
and had an insane 406 Babbitt. And you might think, like, a 406 Babbitt, that's, that's luck. He totally got lucky. Well, his exit velocity helps us evaluate him to say that while a 406 Babbitt may be unsustainable, he may have a high Babbitt from year to year because he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball to different fields, and he hits different types of balls well with a solid spread of line drives, ground balls, and fly balls. One thing to remember is that the speed of a ball off the bat can affect how a ball is played by the defense. You know, Think of a ball pulled hard down the third baseline by a right-handed hitter. For Anthony Rendon or Nolan Arenado, it might be an easy play. But for somebody like Vlad Jr., it could be much more difficult. So a high exit velocity could lead to a higher BABIP. You have to pay attention to the types of balls a batter is hitting. Are they hitting line drives, ground balls, or fly balls? What you want to see from a, a player with a high exit velocity is fly balls because it's likely that those balls turn into home runs. Or you want to see ground balls with a high BABIP because that means the batter is hitting into gaps or they're hitting balls that are difficult for the defense to get to. So for a player like Mankata, you may look at his high BABIP and say, oh, he's getting super lucky. But if you understand exit velocity and pay attention to where and how he's hitting the ball, you would see him as a very good hitter who's making his own luck. And we'll come back to this uh, in in a few minutes. Now, when a batter has a low exit velocity and a high number of home runs, you can reasonably assume that he's getting fortunate and that the home runs are unsustainable over a long period of time. Yuli Gurriel is an example of this from last year. His 31 home runs in 2019 were the same amount he hit in 2017 and 2018 combined in only 40 to 50 more plate appearances than either of those seasons. You would think that his exit velocity and hard contact must be elite, but he was 106th in qualified hitters in average exit velocity. What that tells me going into this year is that I cannot trust his home run count from last year and that it may have more to do with the ballpark he was playing in uh, when he hit those home runs, his launch angle, luck, or, you know, being an Astros hitter. Surprisingly, you can't find StatCast data on fan graphs. Instead, you'll want to go to baseballsavant.mlb.com and check the leaderboard for hitters. This is the place we're going to go to find StatCast data. Uh, You'll find a ton of great data that we'll get into in future episodes. But just to review really quickly, uh, again, exit velocity is how hard a ball is hit off the bat, and you can use it to qualify a batter's BABIP or the legitimacy of their home runs. So on Baseball Savant, you can sort in a lot of different ways, um, similar to fan graphs. When researching exit velocity, I'm sorting that column from highest to lowest. And so what we can do is take a look at a couple players here who show up at the top of the list to evaluate and decide how we should approach them going into this season. First, let's look at Miguel Sano. You're not going to be able to find the player's other stats on Baseball Savant, only their StatCast data. So I'd recommend having their Fangraphs page open as well so you can correlate the data a little bit. 
Now, Sanoa had the highest, the second highest average exit velocity last season. So should we value him as an elite hitter going into this season? To me, that answer is no, but he's close. Last season, he struck out nearly 40% of the time he was up to bat. And pardon the pun, but that's strike one for me. That immediately will limit his batting average year to year to year. Um, And until you see the strikeout rate improve, you're likely not going to see the batting average improve. Strike two against valuing him as an elite hitter this year is his 36% home run to fly ball rate from last year. It was 10% higher than his career average, meaning he got a little more lucky in his home run count. Some fly balls that probably shouldn't have been home runs turned into fly, uh, turned into home runs. And, um, you know, he probably should have been closer to 28 or 29 home runs than the 34 he ended up with last year. And that's also a strike three because you would think that an elite exit velocity would translate into elite home runs, but it doesn't because he doesn't play in the majors enough to get at bats. And when he does, he strikes out four of every 10 times at the plate. What about Kyle Schwarber? He had the ninth highest average exit velocity last season. How should we value him? He was very productive last season. 38 home runs, 82 runs, 92 RBI. He struck out 25% of the time, which isn't great, but isn't terrible either. He had a solid hard contact rate, though not elite. And his home run to fly ball uh, ratio was in line with his career mark, which is a good sign that he could repeat last year's power totals in a normal season. Um, One interesting thing is that for a player with a high exit velocity, his 276 Babbitt from last year is noticeably low. He pulls the ball 40% of the time, and as a lefty, that's a killer because he's hitting right into the shift. So it doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball. You know, if you have great exit velocity, but you're hitting directly at the defensive players 40% of the time, a lot of those balls that he puts into play are going to result in outs. What I want to see before adding him on my team, especially, you know, in a trade, is that he can distribute the ball to all fields better. And I'd like to see him lower his uh, strikeout percentage. You know, I I definitely consider drafting him, but probably not as early as he's going to go in most drafts. And I think you can find better value. So speaking of finding better value, who do you target going into this season based on exit velocity? So this might sound crazy, but hear me out. Draft Howie Kendrick. He is number 21 on last season's leaderboard for exit velocity, and the rest of his numbers line up. He had a career year last year as a 36-year-old, cranking 17 home runs and 370 plate appearances. And he did so striking out only 13% of the time. His elite exit velocity backs up his 359 Babbitt last year, as does nearly a nearly even spray chart, meaning he's hitting the ball to all fields. He did have a high 48% ground ball rate last season, but remember from earlier in the episode, if he is spreading the ball across the field while hitting the ball very hard. He's likely hitting gaps where there are no defenders or he's hitting balls that are too hard for defenders to handle. So that quote unquote 
luck statistic actually is more related to him hitting the ball hard than anything. He had an excellent hard contact rate last season as well, corroborating his elite exit velocity. This is a valuable player who will have multiple position eligibility going into this season. And with Ryan Zimmerman out, how he's going to see even more playing time, playing at first base, second base, and probably designate a hitter too. So he will absolutely get at bats. And all signs point to Howie having productive at-bats. If you haven't drafted yet, snag him. And if you have uh, drafted and you don't have him, trade for him. I'll be right back after a word from my sponsor with my interview with Alec Mills. Stay tuned. So I'm very honored to have on the podcast today, Cubs pitcher Alec Mills. Alec, thanks for joining me. Yeah, no, thanks for the invite. So I want to start uh, by asking about your perspective on the situation with COVID and the restart of the season. So what issues do you see as roadblocks for the completion of the season, especially on the player end? Like, for example, if a handful of players on a team get sick, do you see the players taking action to shut it down themselves and not report? Or do you see a decision like that coming more from management? Um, you know, it could go both ways. I mean, I think I don't want to uh, talk too much into the details of what I think would happen. But I mean, I think there's a good chance yeah, if, if things kind of really uh, go south that, that uh, you know, players could take action in their own hand, under their own hands. Um, you know, obviously we're... Uh, you know, doing something that may not be the safest situation at this time in this country. Um, but, you know, it's something, you know, that, that we really want to do. I mean, baseball's our life. You know, baseball's our job. It's all we know. Um, we really just want to play. So, uh, you know, obviously we're taking a leap, uh, but we all feel it's, uh, you know, safe enough to do this with our families and everything in danger um, if, if somebody were to get it. But, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where we're just going to have to, uh, you know, let it, let it happen and, and see how we deal with it or, you know, hopefully it just doesn't even happen. So uh, we'll, we'll play it by ear would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the, the hope is that everything goes smooth. So do you so kind of kind of along those lines, what do you think about the precautions that Major League Baseball is taking to keep players safe? <laughs> um, you know, how comfortable are you with going back and what are some of the things that MLB is doing and, you know, the different organizations are doing to, uh, you know, limit the spread and, and keep everybody safe? So obviously, um, you know, there, there is a little bit of worry, um, a little bit of uh, anxiety with coming back and playing during this time. Uh, but I think it's uh, something that the MLB has, uh, you know, done done a very good job of making sure that, they, they, you know, we've got a lot of protocols in place and a lot of situations where we, uh, you know, can really work out and, and get ready for a season uh, without, you know, compromising a lot of the stuff that uh, – uh, we need to do to get ready. Um, you know, there's a matter of just, you know, not letting us really interact with anybody but the players and coaches. Um, you know, uh, it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with us players staying away from situations that, that, that uh, we can uh, get the virus, you know, you know, avoiding going out to eat dinner, uh, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I think it's just 
it's a lot of cleaning in the locker room, a lot of, uh, you know, wearing masks at all times when we're at the field, um, unless you're on the field. And then uh, just trying to social distance, trying to stay away, um, you know, avoiding contact, avoiding being close. So, uh, you know, I was probably pretty repetitive there. But uh, <laughs> so just I think just a lot of precautions that everybody knows um, are working. So we're just trying to uh, to make those, uh, you know, work better for us. And so this is, this is more something that I've been kind of wondering about. Um, I haven't heard a lot of talk about it, but, you know, uh, us, one thing that, that has been talked about a bit is, you know, a side effect of the break in action has, you know, been this battle between the players and the owners that seems to have them brewing for a while. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you guys have, you know, heard and, seeing the fan resentment, you know, with things taking so many twists and turns to, to get restarted. One thing I'm really curious about is how the, the perspective of minor leaguers and, and how they've taken this hiatus. And, and if there's any, if you've felt any resentment or, you know, the seen any resentment from them targeted at their major league counterparts and owners since you know, a lot of those guys, they're not represented by the MLBPA. They're not all necessarily getting paid during the shutdown. And, you know, we're expected to stay ready to play and stay in shape basically for free. So uh, it's something that I, I have not experienced uh, personally. Nobody has, you know, really showed any sort of disdain towards towards me or any of my teammates that I, you know, that I know of. Um, you know, obviously, I, I've been in that situation. I've been a minor leaguer, you know really the whole time I've never, you know, haven't really been an established big leaguer yet. So, I mean, I, it's just kind of been a minor leaguer for what, I guess, eight years now. Um, so I've been in that situation and then, uh, obviously it's not fun. And obviously, you know, there's probably things that can be done to, uh, you know, maybe make this a little bit easier on those guys. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's just, a tough situation that, that nobody has dealt with before. It's something new as the country. Um, and, and, you know, we're kind of just, you know, doing this as we go. And obviously some mistakes may have been made, some may have not been made, but um, just kind of diving into an unknown area is something that um, nobody obviously is very good at. So we'll, we'll see how this works and, and hopefully we can learn a lot from on the back end of it. Yeah, and uh, it, hopefully the the they take what they've done so far and kind of, you know, the owners and, and the MLBPA, you know, hopefully they, they take this situation and say, like, we can't let this happen when it, we negotiate, you know, next after next season. Yeah, um, you know, obviously there's things that, that uh, you know, we want as players, I'm not going to dive too deep into that again, um, but uh, oh no, that's yeah, that's fine. There's there's things we want, and uh, you know, it, it's obviously going to be um, on the bargaining table. Obviously, everything nowadays with social media and everything is 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 out, you know, for everybody to see, which is not a very good thing um, for anybody. Uh, but you know, hopefully, like you said, it, just seeing this happen and seeing, um, you know like you said, some fans not happy with everything, um, you know, can open up the eyes of, uh, of people negotiating and we can get something done quicker and, and, you know, 
we can get everything we want as players. So just like you said, hopefully let's get out of this with, with uh, a good situation. So I want to shift a little bit into some baseball and specifically some of the changes that are being made for this year. So do you think things like a universal DH, you know, especially being in the National League, um, you know, uh, things like having a runner start on second base and extra innings, expanded rosters, do you think those things are going to affect the integrity of the game or do you see it more as like an evolution of the game? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say evolution. I, uh, you know, in the, in AAA last year, we had the rule, um, like we're adopting this year of, of a runner on second, uh, in extra innings. And, uh, you know, obviously it's something new, but it was something that was kind of cool. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, pitchers worried about stats or, 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 you know, worried about wins and losses. Um, in that situation, I believe that, uh, no negative stats for that runner that's already on there can go to the pitcher. Right. So obviously that, um, you know, takes a lot of worry out of that of guys and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's something that's fun. Um, and I think it's something that will speed up the uh, extra innings in games, which is, I think, the point of that rule to try to conserve arms and, and make sure we're not, you know, playing long games because we're playing so many games in such a short time. Um, and then the expanded rosters is another thing, uh, like I said, just trying to conserve arms and, and trying to keep guys from, from getting hurt. Obviously, the situation we're in is, is not normal. Um, and, and maybe guys weren't able to stay in shape and, and do what they needed to do to get ready for a season. Um, obviously, we're only here for, for three weeks-ish uh, to get ready. And it's a situation that nobody's been in. And, you know, hopefully not too many injuries occur, but it's probably something that's the nature of the beast and it probably will happen. So maybe if we can avoid that with an expanded roster or, or shorter games, then it's something that uh, I think everybody would be on board with. And. So what are your thoughts on the universal DH in particular, especially as a National League pitcher? Do you think that's going to affect what you in particular do in that kind of like hybrid starter relief role? And if so, how? Um, so obviously the DH um, can, can keep a pitcher on the mound a lot longer. Um, you know, don't need to, uh, especially if you're in a situation, you know, maybe down a couple runs, runners on base. Um, a pitcher doesn't need to be pinch hit for. Um, maybe if he's having, maybe if he's having a good day on the mound or cruising or just came in. Um, so obviously that changes that game. Um, maybe a little less strategy on, on a manager's part in the NL. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's probably statistically going to score more runs, um, which is, I think what people want to see. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, I mean, it's, it's something that's new and, and different. And, uh, I know there's a lot of guys that, that actually enjoyed hitting and, uh, you know, wanted wanted to be a part of the lineup in that way and do things in that way to help themselves. So uh, obviously, like I said, something new, but we'll see how it works this year and, uh, and move on. So this is a fantasy baseball podcast and you know, I'm, I try to focus on educating fantasy baseball players about underlying data, sabermetrics, that sort of thing. And one of the trendy stats that batters have been using to make adjustments to improve recently is launch angle and, you know, I, I don't know how much you guys hear about that stuff, especially pitchers, but, you know, some some hitters have totally redefined themselves just from addressing that one aspect of their game. Do you see a stat or a trend like that that pitchers use to make adjustments, some kind of, like, underlying metric that that pitchers tweak and, you know, in order to improve, or is it more, you know, 
tweaking a grip, adding a pitch, adjusting the windup. And, you know, I've heard Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer talk a lot about spin rate. So I guess just <laughs> like, it's a lot, but basically, you know, what's the, what, what's the thing that fantasy baseball players should be looking at when we see a, a pitcher improve over a year? Uh, I mean, there's lots of factors. I think uh, I think a big one um, that has kind of really taken over baseball and and shown to have some success is, like you said, a spin rate. Um, you know, I think coming up in the minor leagues, even you know, four or five years ago, it was, you know, hey, this guy throws an invisible. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like a fastball, and, and guys just seem to swing and miss at it, or you know, have trouble hitting it when it's up in the zone, and then it's kind of morphed into us, you know, getting more and more data with the track man stuff and realizing that a lot of those guys were high spin rate guys. Um, so just for, to break it down, I guess, into layman's terms, you know, obviously high spin rate guys, somebody who is, is back spinning the ball on a fastball really well. So obviously it doesn't drop as much. Um, so most guys, you know, obviously there's gravity and stuff like that. The ball is going to drop a bit, but if you can avoid the ball dropping a little bit, oftentimes it looks like it's going to rise to a hitter. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that's something that, that is different, um, and, and is, is taking time for hitters to adjust you up in the zone. Um, especially with, uh, I would say a lot of the hitters, like you said, morphing to the launch angle, um, approach, uh, a pitch that's typically up in the zone is probably tougher to hit with that approach. I would say, um, obviously I'm not as versed in the hitting uh, right. category of everything, but, uh, so I think. It's going to be a game of cat and mouse with pitchers and hitters, which is uh, you know is really fun to mess with and really fun to dive into and see how we can, you know, exploit that that new approach that they're taking. Um, but uh, I think I think spin rate's a big one, um, and and I think a lot of guys are kind of diving into that more. Um, I'm not completely sure if there's you know proven ways to increase the spin rate for certain things. Um, that are legal, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sure we'll find that out if there is. So it's something that'll, that'll be exciting for years to come. So when you are when you're preparing for a game, do you use data? Do you look at data? And, and if so, what are some of the things that you pay attention to when you research before pitching? Yeah, uh, obviously the type of pitcher I am, um, not not a velocity guy. More of a more of a spot up, use every pitch and every count type of thing. Um, so for me, uh, and, and the Cubs do a really good job of, of putting everything together, so it's easy for me to see. But uh, for me, there's you know there's just things that I look at. Um, you know, is a guy better at hitting a four seam or a two seam fastball, um, something like that. You know, is, is he an early swinger in a count? Um, that's something that I can exploit. Uh, maybe not throw a fastball early, or maybe not throw a fastball in the zone. Um, and then I think a big thing that uh, um, I guess I just necessarily didn't really look at or pay attention to until I came over here, but uh, was something kind of opened my eyes. It was, uh, you know, slugging percent on certain pitches or certain parts of the zone. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big thing. Obviously, you know, everybody's trying to take away the big hits. I mean, you can give up singles and singles and, and not give up a lot of runs, but if you're giving up doubles, triples, and home runs, um, you know, you're, you're going to give up some runs a lot quicker. Uh, so if I can avoid the areas or avoid avoid a pitch that, that a guy is hitting for, you know, or hitting hitting with a lot of power, hitting and doing a lot of damage with, then obviously that's something that I will avoid. Um, and it's something that, that 
that data has and and uh, has shown to uh, to help. So this is going to be my last question. Besides yourself, who's someone that we should be keeping an eye on in the Cubs organization this season? Maybe somebody who you've seen make some improvements or who's getting overlooked by the media but should be getting more attention or someone who you think might get some extra playing time with expanded rosters? Oof. Oh. Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, I could I could give you a list of names of guys that maybe are, are under under undervalued or, or understated in the media. Um, you know, Dwayne Underwood, obviously, going to have a good year. I think. Um, I think Colin Ray will have a good year. Triple A pitcher of the year last year. Um, that's not easy to do. Um, and then I think you got guys. You know, Dakota Mekis, uh I think. It is going to be good. I mean, I think he's he's shown success um, at the lower levels and, and starting to figure things out um, the higher he gets up. Uh, you know, I think you got your easy ones, Adbert and Alzale, uh, somebody who who maybe has a little more media attention. Uh, I mean, if, I mean, Danny Holson, guy who came up last year, um, you know, high draft pick, kind of came out of the game of baseball and got back in. Um, has really good stuff and, and can throw it where he wants to. Um, I mean, I think, like I said, the list could go on and on. I don't know if I have a certain guy to tell you to watch out for. Um, that that list is great. The, you know, I'm going to put all these guys on my watch list for <laughs> in my fantasy league. Okay. So, uh, Alec, thank you so much for joining me. This was super cool, super informative. I, I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, man, it's no problem. I enjoyed it. I, uh, I love doing this stuff, man. It's, uh, it's fun to kind of really talk ball with somebody that's uh, not on the team. And I think, you know, obviously I love hanging out with the team, but um, we always kind of talk about the same kind of stuff. So this is cool to kind of talk something a little different, you know, not the, not the standard baseball stuff, dive in a little deeper. So, Well, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's all for today. I just want to, again, thank my guest Alec Mills from the Chicago Cubs for coming on and talking some baseball with me. Uh, Next time, we'll look into another piece of StatCast data, Launch Angle. Thanks for listening.